I'm just curious, how many, um, like, Bachelor fans, like the Bachelor TV show, how many fans do we have in the house? Anybody? No way. They, y'all are lying, because this show has been on for, like, forever, and, like, it's still super highly rated. Who is watching this if it's not you? Somebody is. You know how I know? <clears throat> because, well, number one, my wife watches it. <laughs> She's into this show off and on, okay? But, um, it, but number two, you know how many seasons of The Bachelor they're on? 21. 21 seasons. That tells me somebody's watching The Bachelor, right? Otherwise, they would ixnay that show. It would be done. And, and here's the truth. So my wife, like, um, she was, like, recording this show, right? She had it on the DVR, and so we're, like, watching it. And, and, and there, there, like, initially, there was a little bit of interest that I had in the show because the, uh, the, the, the dude is a race car driver, okay? I like fast cars. I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. I'll check it out, right? And so I'm watching it, and, um, <clears throat> and I was kind of watching... Anyways, um, so <clears throat> my interest faded quickly, honestly. <laughs> I just can't watch that show for very long. But obviously somebody likes it. They're on 21 seasons, right? But here's what we got. We've got 21 seasons of people spending millions of dollars to help a dude find the one. Which just kind of points to how much help we guys really need in this whole process, right? Because, I mean, they literally spend millions and they, they give this, they send this guy on a months-long free vacation in like the ultimate vacation spots. And his only worry, his only concern is to build chemistry with somebody, right? And then they hand him like dozens of women And these are not, like, here's the thing. These women have already been screened. Like, none of them are mass murderers, okay? So he's already playing it pretty safe, right? And and, and based on what he says he likes in a woman, they kind of screen these ladies. They'll give him some. And he gets gets this, like, free opportunity to go and build chemistry with somebody, right? Like, that's the whole idea is, is that we can hook this dude up with somebody, right? So we sit there and we watch, and we watch for these little sparks between him and her, and then, you know, and like inevitably, here's what, here's what bothers me so much about this show. There's like so much kissing going on that I'm like, dude, 10 minutes ago, you were just kissing her, and now you're kissing her, and then she's up next, like, does this ever end? Like, this is kind of gross, you know? It's like, you're... Yeah, anyways, and um, so, and the whole point is, you know, we want to we find chemistry. You guys know what chemistry is, right? It's that initial attraction, you know, that causes you to lose your minds, right? That, that's what chemistry is. It's, it's when the girl, you know, it, the, the hot girl walks in and the guy takes notice and she's like, you know, I love video games and his heart melts. He's like, oh, sh- sh- that's a match made in heaven, right? It, 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 you know, or it's the, the guy, you know, the decent looking guy at least he showers right he walks in and the girl notices him and and he's like you know i like chick-fil-a and she's like chick-fil-a is my favorite too you're a gift from god that's chemistry right and then all of a sudden you two are like love struck and you're building a relationship yeah and yeah that's chemistry do you know how many of the couples that have been put together from the bachelor are actually still together one one out of 21 opportunities 
They spent millions of dollars 21 times and they got it right once. And I'm just thinking, like, there must be more to this story, right? Because if you can spend millions of dollars on putting a dude in a perfect environment, surrounded by what you would think are like great women. Like, you you watch some of these girls go through there, and you're like, she seems like a good fit, you know? Like, she seems like a good girl. He'll even go home and meet the parents, and like, you know, they have all these intimate, like all these opportunities for them to build chemistry. And, you know, it's like dinner with Boo, and like, you know, long conversations with Boo, and like all these deep, you know, intimate settings with Boo. And then all of a sudden... It's like, and then all of a sudden, the dude's like supposed to propose to this girl, right? And then it just doesn't last. And, and let, me, let me be clear here, okay? Chemistry is important. Like, as a pastor, let me beg of you, please, please marry someone that you have some chemistry with. Marry someone you're attracted to, okay? Otherwise, it's a really awkward wedding, and I don't want to officiate that one. So, but, but. You just simply can't make chemistry or this attraction the foundation for your relationship. And, and you have to ask yourself, like, if these guys can't make it in a perfect environment where your only job for months at a time is to work on your relationship, like, that's kind of scary. And it just makes me wonder, is there really any hope for the rest of us, right? Like, and I'm talking about you because I already found mine. So, really, I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of worried about you is really what it boils down to. <laughs> but let me ask you something. What if, what if there is something more to your relationship than just chemistry? Like if we want a long-lasting relationship, like one that is fulfilling, we want a marriage that we want to be in decades down the road. Like happy family. Healthy kids, great God-honoring home, right? Like, there, there must be more than just chemistry. Would you agree? Like, with a, with, a, with a 95% failure rating on The Bachelor, we must, we, there must be something more. Because this can be done right. I've seen it. Hopefully I'm living it, unless I'm just oblivious to something, Right? But we, eventually, we got to start asking some questions. And we got to think, man, like, what if this something more that makes a relationship great isn't necessarily about the one we find? Like, what if this, this hope for something better is less about who we find and it's more about who we become? What if who we become is actually the answer to having a great, fulfilling relationship? What if finding the one is more about becoming the one than it is for us to be on this never-ending scavenger hunt searching for the one? What if instead of just looking at who they are, I start looking at who I am? What if my relationship lasting and being fulfilling is more about me preparing to be in a relationship than it is me finding a relationship? See, with a 95% failure rate for The Bachelor, we need to start asking some different questions, culturally. (laughs) Like, maybe the problem doesn't exist with the dozens of options. Maybe the problem exists in the individual. And 
man, for some of us tonight, I might propose the same idea. Like if you've had multiple broken relationships, or if your relationships aren't working out like you had hoped, eventually you've got to ask, like who's the common denominator in all of those broken relationships? Tonight, here's the thing. I want to help you break out of this broken process that will keep you from finding the one. And tonight, you've got to consider that that part of the broken process, it might not be external, it might be internal. Because Galatians 6, 7 says this, Don't be deceived, God won't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You ever heard that before? Man reaps what he sows. He harvests what he plants. So you can't practice basketball and hope to play soccer well. That's what that verse says. So my question is, are you practicing and preparing for a great relationship? Are we sowing things in us now that will reap a harvest of what we want in our future? See, we all want a great marriage, right? We're searching for the one that that can make us a great spouse. But marriage is a team sport. How many of you guys watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. For the rest of you, the Eagles won. Okay. And uh, some people are really stoked about that. Others are Cowboys fans. Um, (laughs) And as I'm listening to the Eagles, but here's the thing. I I, I got to watch part of the game. I was chasing babies all night is really what I was doing. But my babies went to bed, and I got to see, like, the, 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 the celebration speeches at the end of the game where the Eagles are up on the platform, and there's several guys, like, giving their, you know, hey, we won speech, right? And so you hear a lot of guys say things like, man, we've all worked really hard for this. Now, imagine with me for a minute if one of the Eagles players got up there and said, well, All of those guys worked really hard, but me, I just sat around eating Doritos all day. I mean, I kind of worked out. I did some curls, Doritos to my pie hole right here. (laughs) Curls, right? Like, you know, I studied some plays on, you know, Madden, Xbox, you know. So I'm really glad that my teammates did their part to win the Super Bowl because I didn't really do much. Now, how many of you know that you would never hear that? Because everybody knows and expects that to win the Super Bowl, every player on the team is engaged in putting forth the right amount of effort. Every player on the team is is preparing to, to win. And I would say the same thing works in your marriage as well. If marriage is a team sport, every player in the marriage needs to be preparing for the W. Every player in the in the marriage needs to engage and work hard to achieve the marriage win. And that preparation starts now. For you, that preparation starts right now. So tonight, we're going to look at some ways that we can become the one that you're looking for is looking for. Think about that for a minute. Tonight, we're going to talk about how to become the one that you're looking for is looking for. That's an Andy Stanley line that I just think is absolutely phenomenal. How do we become the one that you're looking for is looking for? I think you got to do your part. You got to play your role on the team. And tonight we're going to talk about how to do that. So point number one tonight is this. Be the one with great expectations. See, if I were to go around the room tonight and I were to ask you, 
Like, what are your expectations in marriage? What do you expect to get out of it? And what do you expect out of your future spouse? We would get a ton of different answers. But there would be, inevitably, there would be this prevailing idea that there is this, like, mystical one that God has created for each one of us. Let me destroy this argument for you in about 30 seconds. Logically, if that were the case, the first marriage that ended in a divorce would have totally messed up the system. But if that's not enough, about half of the marriages in America will end in divorce. We've blown that system completely out of the water. And so, the idea behind this concept is that, like, your one is, he's riding a unicorn through Fantasia, and he's going to swoop in and save the day, right? Or, you know, or your one is stuck in a castle, and one day her wicked stepmom's going to let her out. She's going to fall in your lap as you're playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> because God created that one just for you. It sounds dumb when I say it like that, right? And if you... <laughs> And if you hold that kind of thought, bear with me here. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just poking some fun. Because the idea is that the one, the idea that there is the one that God created just for you, it's fantasy. Like you learned that watching Disney movies growing up. So don't be the one that's just waiting for the one. See, Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. See, men, some of you need to start looking. Like, quit waiting for the mystical one and put some effort into the finding. Make finding a wife a priority because if you get that part right, if you accomplish this task, you can be an accurate representation of the love that Christ has for his church. You can show that to the rest of the world. People should look at Ashley and I's marriage and see how Christ loves his church. So you ask the question, Heath, are you the one for Ashley? The answer is yes. But only because we walked the aisle together and made a covenant with each other. A covenant is more than like a promise to somebody. A covenant is made with somebody. See, here's what I know. I assure you there are better guys out there for Ashley. There are guys out there that don't like fast cars or fast motorcycles. There are guys that are out there that are taller than I and that find value in sweeping the floors. (laughs) One exists somewhere, I'm sure. But I'm the one she entered into covenant with. And that means that I'm the one for her and she's the one for me. But it's not because God created her for me. Colossians 1.16 says, all things have been created, created through him and for him. All things have been created through him and for him. You were created for God. They were created for God. And here's the truth. You want somebody that knows who they were made for. And they know that they weren't made for you. <clears throat> the last thing you want to be in somebody's life is God. That's a role that's just too difficult to fill. Listen, you're not smart enough, big enough, strong enough, rich enough, good enough. We're not God. You don't want to play that role in somebody's life. 
So if you have an expectation that great relationships are created when you find the one that's created just for you, you're going to be terribly disappointed. They don't exist because your one was actually created for God. But maybe if you honor God, he'll allow you to become a steward of one of his children. You ever thought about why a man asks a woman's dad for her hand in marriage? Think about that for a minute. Maybe if you honor the Lord, you'll have his blessing to steward one of his daughters. But before we jump into marriage with the one, you'll want to do this. Number two, you're going to want to get healthy before you run the race. See, here's the thing. If, if you want the best possible results that you were able to attain, get healthy, then pursue a healthy relationship. See, here's what I know. Any of us would agree that if I were to say, okay, listen, um, we're all going to walk right outside these doors, and I want you to run a lap around the building, and I'm going to time you. I want the best time that you've got. Every single one of you would agree that you will have the best time you could possibly have if you're physically healthy. Right? Here's the thing about marriage. Marriage is a covenant that includes all of you. It's running a physical race with your spouse. When you're in it for the long haul, it's running an emotional race with your spouse. It's running a spiritual race with your spouse. It is absolutely all of you. Let me prove it to you. Matthew, Mark 10, 6 through 8 says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What does that have to do with being complete and whole and healthy? Well, let's do some math here real quick, because I think this verse confuses people. So, show me my first math slide. We're going to have a math lesson here, okay? One plus one equals? Hold on, hold on. Here's what you're thinking. Here's what you're thinking. Okay, show me the next slide. This is what you're thinking of right here. One half plus one half equals one. And for some reason, that's how a lot of people read this verse, but that's not what the verse says. So let's try this again. Show me verse eight and put my next next slide up there. Okay, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. So one plus one equals one. According to this verse, one whole, you, and one whole, them, become one. What it doesn't say is that you, in your broken, half-fulfilled state, get to join someone else who is broken and half-fulfilled, and that together you will be one. Listen, it don't work that way. When you get broken and broken, you just get broken squared. <clears throat> what happens when you add broken to broken? You get more broken. One whole plus one whole create in this kingdom, mathematical way, one 
whole covenant marriage. See, if the problem here is that too many people get this equation wrong. Like they think that their marriage was created to complete them. They think that their spouse was created to complete them. That they were created by God for them. They weren't. They were created by God for God. Listen, you get this equation wrong and you will have issues. But let me, let me explain this though. The, but the, mar- the, the issue is never marriage. There's, never, there's no such thing as marriage problems. There's just problematic people in marriage. Here's what I never hear as a pastor. He, you know what the problem with marriage is? My spouse just can't cheat on me. I never hear that. He, you know what the problem with marriage is? My husband is willing to lay down his life for me. He, you know what the problem with my marriage is? My wife is always respecting me. I, don't, I never hear those things. That never happens because marriage is good. But when people with problems get married, now we have issues. When you are not whole and you enter into marriage, now we have issues. You know what we say about people with problems when they, get in, when they take those problems into marriage? We say they have baggage, right? They got baggage. And like some of you guys, here's the truth. Like some of you guys, you carry around like, you know, this little handheld baggage. There's some good and some bad things that are in there that have kind of shaped your life. And man, you just kind of carry it around like this. And there's some good and bad in here. And this is, this is your baggage that you carry. And, you know, and then some of you guys, you're like, you got a backpack full of baggage. <laughs> good and bad stuff in there that's just, this is, this is my past. Here's the thing. This is my past. All the baggage that you carry comes from your past. It's things that define who you are right now. It's things that define who you want to be. It's things that define who you want to marry. And some of you guys, you carry around little baggage. Okay? And here's the truth. There could be some good things in your little bag that have helped you define who you want to be, who you want to marry, who you are. And those things are okay. Here's the thing about like lightweight baggage. It's mobile. I can kind of do what I want. I can carry it with me. It doesn't really hurt me all that much. But if we're honest, and if you ask, if you ask um, anybody in a, in, in a psychological field, they will tell you that the majority of baggage that we actually create in our life doesn't come from good things. It actually comes from negative things. And so instead of carrying around some lightweight baggage, some of you guys are carrying around like baggage that has baggage and like stuff that you are trying to like work through and, and move maneuver with. And every time that you meet somebody, it's like your baggage is just in the way and you got to kind of work your baggage through. And then, you know, you, you, you like that guy, right? Because the truth is the majority of our baggage that we carry comes from negative things, not positive things. I'll give you an example. For me, um, there was there was a moment where I was uh, where I was being bullied in the sixth grade, and I was like kind of new to the school, and and I was bullied by this guy who I thought was a friend that just turned on me one day, and so man. 
like any six-year-old, I become interested in martial arts. That was my total motivation. I became the sixth grade fat kid riding his bike to the dojo every day to go learn martial arts. That was my motivation. It was baggage that I was carrying. You know, it's actually common for gym addicts to have a past experience of bullying in their lives. The reason they want to be strong and fit and big isn't because they want to look strong and fit and big. It's because some dude was bullying them in their past. It's pretty obvious I didn't follow the gym addiction. I went, I went more for the comfort food route, right? <laughs> Tonight, here's the thing. I, I want you to check your baggage. I want you to check your baggage. Okay. Here's the thing, like as your pastor, I get to have this conversation because sometimes what happens is I walk into one of your houses and immediately I'm met with a stench from like the dishes that have been in the sink for a month and a half or the trash that has been piled up for like weeks and it hadn't been taken out. And there's, you know what, some of you guys, you just like live this way and it's like you have this baggage that just kind of looks like this and this is like the house that you live in and you think it's normal. Notice there's baby dolls in here. Here's what that tells me. It tells me that at some point in your past, you lived with an enabler. And this enabler somehow managed to graduate you from high school, allow you to move out of the house, away from mama, into a dorm, where all of a sudden you're expected to like, clean up after yourself. You're expected to like do the dishes, do the laundry, clean yourself, clean your clothes, clean the toilets. And here's the thing, nobody ever taught you how to use a dishwasher or washing machine. If we're just being honest, some of y'all never mastered taking a bath, okay? Like, (laughs) Let me give you the dad talk. Part of my job as your pastor is actually not just to pastor you, it's to parent you. That's what all the smart people are saying. So we're going to have a little parent talk, okay? Here's what I tell my daughters. Wash your stinky spots. Wash your stinky spots. The smell only disappears when you clean your body, clean your clothes, clean your hair, clean your butt. Like, listen, this is a maturity talk here. Because for some of you, the baggage that you need to check is actually the baggage of immaturity. See, you don't need a partner in life. You need a parent. Somebody that can teach you how to clean up after yourself. Now, listen, it probably sounds like I'm picking on the dudes here, and I am. But some of you ladies need to take note as well. Like, let me just open up the conversation. If you do not shower daily... Let this be a sign unto you. <laughs> like, some of you don't recognize the stench and the funk that follows you around. Like, and some of you dudes, you're like a one shower a day kind of guy. You can get by with that. But nobody ever told you that once you sweat, you should shower. It doesn't matter if you're outside mowing lawns in the heat and sweating or if you were in bed sleeping and sweating. If you sweat, shower. You can't just cover up stink with Old Spice and Axe. It doesn't work. Like, you just end up smelling like Old Spice and butt crack. That's all it is. 
you got to wash the stink off and then put on the foo-foo juice, right? This is just the way it works. Dad talk. And just so you know, if you don't clean house on the regular now, marriage is going to eat your lunch. Because instead of having a roommate that makes a mess in the bathroom that you haven't cleaned in a month, eventually you're going to buy a house with your spouse. And that bathroom is now owned by you. So later in life when you're married with children, life group shows up at your house. You can't blame the nasty bathroom on anybody because you own the bathroom. Therefore, you own the nasty. And that roommate you want to blame it on is your spouse. And it don't work that way. Let me give you a few key areas to concentrate on right now in this area of maturity. Master money. Master money. Learn how to handle your money in a biblical, responsible way now so that one day when you share an account with your spouse, your financial irresponsibility doesn't crush your marriage. Did you know that the number one problem that hurts marriages today is actually financial issues? That is the number one stressor on marriages today. We're actually going to teach on this in March. We're going to go into a series called Unstuck. You should totally come for that. It's going to be life-changing for you guys. We're going to talk about how to handle money in a biblical way. Next thing, steward God's gifts. Because here's what I know. God's going to grant each of you certain gifts and blessings throughout your life. And just the fact that you live in a dorm or an apartment or a home with central heat and air makes you like one of the most blessed individuals on the face of the earth. Like, to put this in context, okay, if, if I were to hand you the keys to a Ferrari, some of you would drive that car into the ground and never even run it through the car wash. And the kids in Haiti that are sweeping their dirt floors think you live in a Ferrari. God says if we're faithful with the little things, he'll trust us to be faithful with big things. Can we steward the blessings that he's given us now? Listen, marriage is a big thing. Being a steward of one of God's children inside of the marriage covenant is a big thing. Learn to steward God's gifts now. Next step in maturity, consider parenting. Consider parenting. Children can be annoying. I get it. I love my kids. I just don't love kids. <laughs> Listen, th- does having kids scare you? Are you afraid of the commitment it takes to raise a baby? There are such things as honeymoon babies. Some of you will get married and have a baby like right away. <laughs> okay? Nine months in, baby. <laughs> The question is, is there some baggage in your past that needs to be dealt with so you are prepared for parenting babies with your future spouse? Are you ready to selflessly give of yourself to take care of the baby? And one of the best ways to prepare for this now is to do this last thing. Serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. See, here's what we just learned. Marriage is about you being complete and whole. Right? You're not... Hurting, you're not half 
of an individual waiting for someone to complete you, waiting for someone to bless you. Listen, when you are complete and whole, it means you should be able to become a blessing instead of always being the one requiring a blessing. Clean a house. Pray for somebody. Pay for a meal. Do somebody else's dishes. Be a blessing to someone now. Serve faithfully. Listen, the best thing you can do to prepare yourself to be the one you're looking for is looking for is to mature to a place of serving others the way Christ served the church. Because that's the picture of marriage that we're given. I think some of us just simply need to grow up and trade our baggage of immaturity for a bag of maturity. So we talk about this, here's what I know. Some, some of you, your baggage is a little bit deeper than just immaturity, than learning to clean the house. So, so point two here, letter B, we're, we're going to talk about some healing. Some of you don't need a better half or someone to complete you. You need a ph- physician that can heal you. And we're going to kind of shift gears here. We're going to talk about some things that could be deep and hurtful, but I want you to follow me here. Um, Here's what I know. There may be some great disappointments, some hurt, or some unfulfilled expectations in your past. This is especially true when your expectations don't line up with reality. Like maybe you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend in the past that, that, you know, you were really hurt because you placed really high expectations on them and those expectations shouldn't have been there. Like, you know, here's the truth. He's not a Disney prince and she's not a Disney princess, right? So the expectations that you have of your spouse should be normal and biblical, Right? Some of you, though, you need to deal with some past disappointments by getting rid of some old baggage that if you don't, it's going to ruin your future relationship. Just the other night, I'm putting Leighton to bed. She's my oldest daughter. She, she just turned three. And she's crying because I won't read her another story. We've already read three stories at this point, okay? But she is like in bed, like being all kinds of dramatic, crying, flailing around, throwing it to, you know, doing the things I'm sure we all did when we were younger, right? She's having a temper tantrum because she hasn't learned how to deal with disappointment yet. And that's, it, it's kind of funny when you're three, you know, like your three-year-old's in there like flailing in her little toddler bed. You know, it's like this big, y'all, you know? <clears throat> and it's kind of funny when you're three, but it's not so funny when you're 23 or 33 or in your third year of marriage, like, at some point, we've got to deal with the past disappointments and hurt in our life and quit, like, reacting in immature ways. I think tonight that maybe some of you need to revisit some past wounds with the Lord's help so that instead of just forgetting that those wounds exist, you can find healing. Here's the thing. If you continue to ignore those wounds, you'll eventually end up in counseling and your husband's going, I don't know why she yells at me every time we talk about money. Because in your past, your dad couldn't hold a job and you have this hurt about your family going through financial hardships and now you don't really mean to, but you take it out on your husband. Or it's, it's 
Every time something sexual is brought up, your entire demeanor changes because there's been some sexual abuse in your past and you're not healed from that thing. And so the, 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 the great expectations that you and your spouse had concerning your sex lives together gets destroyed because you didn't heal the hurt in the past. Reese and I were talking about this yesterday. You know what the difference between a wound and a scar is? One has experienced healing. <clears throat> See, when you have an open wound, you can't ignore it. It gets in the way of normal, everyday life. But when healing occurs and the wound becomes a scar, like, you kind of forget about it. In fact, like, when a scar is there long enough, you may even have time to forget why it's there. A healed scar is way different than the open wounds that some of us are carrying around. Here's the biggest problem that I see here. That people actually think that getting married or finding the one is going to help them find healing. But it never does. You just end up with someone that bumps up against that wound more and more and more than anyone else ever has because you're living closer to someone than you've ever lived before. And you either stay close and you bump the wound or you separate yourself from your spouse because you're protecting the wound. Listen, our greatest hurts, our greatest disappointments, if not dealt with, will turn into depression, despair, and darkness for our future relationships. This is the baggage that will bear fruit in your future that you don't want. But listen, Jesus Our great physician is the healer of our wounds and disappointments. I want you to listen to to what is written about the Lord in Psalm 30. Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Doesn't that sound like someone who has dealt with hurt and disappointment for a really long time? I'm living in the realm of the dead. Verse 4, sing praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. See, we don't need someone to carry, help us carry our baggage of hurt and disappointment. We need Jesus to heal our baggage of hurt and disappointment. Verse 6 speaks of feeling secure, brought up from the realm of the dead to a place of security. Listen, that isn't the work of anyone but Jesus. Jesus is the only one that will ever heal you to the point of feeling secure. I don't have all night to talk about this, but the truth is some of you guys have some very sensitive wounds that need healing. For your generation, here are some stats. CPS, Child Protective Services, finds evidence of sexual abuse every eight minutes. Child Protective Services. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. That tells me a whole lot of us in this room have experienced sexual assault. The effects of child sexual abuse can be long-lasting. Victims are about four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug use, 
They're about four times more likely to, to experience PTSD as adults, and they're about three times more likely to experience depression as an adult. How many of you know, and don't, don't answer, but think about how many people you know that have dealt with sexual abuse in their past, and now they deal with depression. Like, it's real. There are the, and here's the thing. These are effects that your spouse was not created to heal. If you're dealing with serious baggage, run to Jesus. Abide in Christ and let Jesus heal those wounded areas. He is our great physician. Don't, don't run to another relationship. That's not what you need. You need Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Listen, we all have baggage. We just got to run to Jesus for healing. Your past doesn't get to define your identity. That's the work of Jesus. Your creator, your redeemer, your healer. Run to him. Abide in him. We all have things to deal with. Some of you it's little things. Some of you it's big things. Let Jesus help you there. In the midst of our past, here's the thing. It should... should Encourage us to run to the Lord. And you should be so hidden in Christ that your one must seek Christ to find you. You should be so hidden in Christ that your one must seek Christ to find you. And I don't want to pass over this kind of stuff lightly. I'm not pretending that that some of the wounds that you carry seem like too big to handle. Don't. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to say that at all. If it's too big, listen, I promise you that we serve a God that's bigger. A God that's not just our healer, but he's our savior. And on that note, I, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't mention the healing that some of you need, not because of others, but because of your own sin. I'm switching gears here. Let let me be clear. What I'm not saying is that if you've been sexually assaulted that it was your fault, that it was your sin that you got there. That's never the case. The victim is never at fault in abuse. But some of you have watched your recreational porn use turn into your abuser. And you know that it's your fault. You engaged in sinful activity and sin did what sin does. It took you further than you wanted to go kept you longer than you wanted to stay and it cost you more than you wanted to pay. Here's the thing. Whether you're in here tonight carrying painful baggage that maybe was from somebody else, what somebody else did to you and it just seems too big to handle or if you're carrying sinful baggage that you just can't seem to overcome, you not only need healing but you need a savior. Let us see salvation. Some of you don't need a spouse. You need a savior. And and here's why I have to make that distinction. Because some of you have even believed the lie that your spouse will help you overcome sin in your life. 
You thought that when you get married, your porn addiction is going to be easier to fight. You thought that when you get married, those impure thoughts towards others could be thoughts towards the same sex, towards the opposite sex. You thought that they would disappear when you get married, and that's a lie. If I can be honest, every able-bodied man is going, like, struggles with sexual sin, and getting married doesn't eliminate that temptation. It's funny how when I got married, I became like more attractive to certain women. It's like they look at you and they go, wow, he's married. He must be a catch. Oh, you know what? He's married. I bet his wife has worked out some of those dude kinks. You know, like he probably doesn't even smell when he comes in after mowing the grass. I bet, I bet his wife has worked on him enough. He don't even make funny noises in the bathroom. It, like they, 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 it's like for some reason, because you're married, you become more attractive. Listen, when you get married, the temptations don't cease. They actually increase. You need to let Christ deal with that part of you that you'll never overcome yourself and that you can't expect for a spouse to save you from. Don't pursue a spouse as a savior. Let Jesus be your savior. Let Jesus take care of the work Jesus does. We're going to wrap up with this tonight as we get ready to close here. Um, When it comes to being the one that you're looking for is looking for. Number three, I want you to decide a few things now. And the first thing is this. Decide why you're looking for the one. Decide why you're looking for the one. See, when, when when you do find the one and you finally are dating the one or engaged to the one or married to the one, Will Christ still be number one? Is your hope to glorify God with your marriage or is your hope to satisfy your own like selfish desires to not be lonely or to not hurt anymore because you think that there'll be a savior? Decide why you're looking for the one. B, decide what you'll be for the one. See, this is, this is not what can they bring me, but what is my identity? What do I have to offer? What am I sowing in my heart now that will produce a harvest of awesomeness for my future husband or my future wife or my future kids? Like, if someone were to ask you tonight, <clears throat> why you? What would you say? What, what do you have to offer? Why you? What can you be for somebody else? Let her see, decide now how you'll know that he or she is the one. Well, when they're not just hot, but they've mastered some of the things that we talked about last week or this week, I would say you're on the right track. I would also say this. If your life group leader loves them, If your friends love them, let this be a sign unto you. (laughs) You're on the right track. I'd also say if things seem to go better when your friends aren't around or if they don't ever want your friends around, run. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) Listen, have biblical standards that aren't shallow like we talked about last week. 
And be willing to break it off if they don't measure up. It'll help you decide how you'll know when he or she is the one. 